0: Today on The Bear and the Bull, we have the 1999 Goalkeeper of the Year in MLS. He's a CONCACAF Champions League winner. He's won the US Open Cup twice, the Supporters Shield, and MLS Cup twice. He also has the most saves in MLS history. Today, we'll talk about the art of goalkeeping, what it takes to get to the top, and the journey, the thrills, the spills. Everything more, it's all coming up on the Bear and the Balls. I am Nick Webster, the Vice President of Adults for the Cal South Board of Directors. I am, of course, a complete and utter soccer junkie. Live it, breathe it, speak it. And I am very honored today to welcome to the bear and the ball, Kevin Hartman, El Gato, 243 appearances for the LA Galaxy, 90 for Kansas City, 83 for the New York Red Bulls, and also a US international. He played his college soccer at my alma mater, Go Toros, Cal State University, Dominguez Hills, before moving on to UCLA. Kevin, Welcome.
1: Yes, I, I'm super appreciative to be here today, Nick. It's great to see you. Obviously, you know, we've had our run-ins uh, throughout the years and certainly uh, somebody that I know is not uh, not just a, a former player from some perspective, but also a junkie, as you call it. So uh, I'm happy to be here today to talk the game with you.
0: So you've just finished uh, your season off as the uh, goalkeeping coach at the LA Galaxy. Uh, obviously, a little disappointing, didn't make the playoffs. Um what was the defining factor, do you think, this year?
1: You know, I mean, there's a lot of turnover, obviously, from year to year. Um, and I thought that we we definitely started off the, the season in a way that we felt like is indicative of uh, of the group of players and the coaching staff and everybody that's involved in the team. And uh, I we were in a great position all the way up through August 15th. Like you say, we didn't make the playoffs, but we were only really out of the playoffs for the last three minutes of the uh, of the final match. So um, a little disappointed with the way that things kind of shook out, but um, obviously we realized that it's a process. And, you know, we, there's some, certainly some some really um, good takeaways from the year, um, some good good performances on the goalkeeping side of things. Um, and we felt like there was a real level of consistency from, from the goalkeepers that got – time, whether that's Jonathan Bond or Jonathan Klinsman, and um, certainly looking for them to have continued success as we continue to evolve as a club in the coming years.
0: Talk to me about your role as the goalkeeping coach. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you're working with the with the goalkeepers on a day-to-day basis. How do you keep that fresh, exciting, and keep the keepers motivated?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, th- I think that one of the things that Um, you think about freshness, but you also think about the importance of repetition. Um, Very similar to how pianists do the scales. um, You know, goalkeepers need to have a little bit of that rhythm and that repetition. And uh, I think um, within the club, I think that Greg does a great job in terms of, of, Blending the goalkeepers in with the field players, and we have uh, a number of different exercises that we do, so that they have the opportunity to play with the ball at their feet and and are integrated in our build-up. And I think that's something that's pretty evident in in the way that you see us kind of build out of the back, and you see the comfortability of our goalkeepers with the ball at their feet. And so, um, I work a lot on scenarios, just things that are repeated again and again within within the game. Um, so whether that is, you know, crosses from you know, wide spaces, which is tends to be dying out a little bit in the modern game, um, or its balls cut back from the end line, which becomes a, a lot more critical to what the game looks like nowadays. Um, sweeping up and behind the defense and trying to have interactions where the defenders are kind of coming back towards the goal and the goalkeepers kind of a- anticipating and, and being able to realize whether or not to be able to get to the ball or not. Those are, those are the kind of the things that we do. So it's, it's uh, repetition based from a technical perspective, but there's also you know tactical scenarios that we look at on a regular basis. And then the guys get folded into training sessions pretty, pretty quickly.
0: You, you bring up a word, repetition. And as as a coach myself, you know, I, I, I work primarily uh, within the youth and, and, and collegiate game. And players hate repetition. Making making something. And and, and as you as you know yourself, to, to become expert, you mentioned the, the piano skills, to become brilliant, to master it, you have to do it again and again and again. How do you keep and I, the, the thing I always get from 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 some of my players is, "Oh, it's boring. Why are we doing this again, Coach? We've done this every single day." And and and, and getting getting players to understand the importance of repetition and, and mastering a specific skill. I, I guess from the professional level, yes, you know, these guys, it's it's their job. But I'm I'm sure you work with younger players as well. How how do you massage that that idea of repetition into something that is an absolute must.
1: Yeah. I mean, every, every professional player that I've ever seen has a story about themselves and a wall or themselves and a fence that they could kick it off hard enough that it would come back. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to play with Thierry Henry, um, in New York, you know, allowed me to have a conversation with him about just how, how ruthless and cutthroat the world of football is over in France. And in and, and France, you know, you have a test at the end of every year. And if you haven't mastered the fundamentals of the game by the time that you're 14 years old, you don't really get introduced to, to top level football. Um, and so for me, the way that we look at the game is. You, you look at things from a tactical standpoint and it's almost as though you're playing chess and you're trying to find numbers up scenarios throughout, throughout the field and trying to um, really identify exactly when you have advantages in certain situations. And if you're spending all your time working on what your first touch looks like, you don't really have enough time to gather information. And so, um, you know, the cognitive side of the game is very important to our players. And I think that for us, if you're looking down at your feet, you can't look up and you can't identify where your teammates are. You can't identify where you might have a numbers up scenario. And so you're missing out on such an important part of the game. If you are really just concentrated on whether it's the getting the ball under the control and in individual matchup, uh, you just leave a lot of things on the table. And so for me, I always talk about the opportunity that young players have. Um, you know to see see the game in a unique way that not everybody gets to see. Some people get caught up in the athleticism of the game or they get caught up in different aspects. And it's great. I mean the the game is as, as democratic as they come, but um, you know for a more nuanced eye and for an an eye of of football at the top level, um, you're really trying to take all these different factors into account and to uh, and to try to try to make good use of it.
0: You bring up another great word, athleticism why are coaches in this country so drawn to to athletes as opposed to you know, I, I, dare i say that the, the creative players who maybe don't shine as much in the course of a game but have the moments that change the game
1: i, th- I think it's a, a an important uh there's an important balance to it right i mean because it's possible to have you know unbelievable passing skills but if you if you can't compete athletically, then it becomes difficult from that perspective, right? And there's not very many players that that we as a country have, or as a league, have sold over to Europe that weren't athletic, you know? So um, I, I think it's uh, just making sure that we have a good idea of, you know, what positional profiles look like. Um, you know, it's one of the things that I would say that we continue to work on within, within our program is, you know, wh- what what does a professional center back look like? Um, and once you kind of can take a little bit of the guesswork out of that, it allows you to maybe have a little bit more streamlined success. So there is a place for the physical side of the game. There is, a, there is a, uh, uh, an important pace, place on athleticism, um, but that technical side is important too. And so you'd it, 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 be remiss to kind of leave any of those components out Um, and I think there's a lot of times that when, when, and I I don't want this to get misconstrued because I think that there is an importance to the recreational side of the game as well. Like when I'm talking about the game, I'm talking about professional football at the top level. Um, and I still think that there's, there's really, um, an importance about enjoying the game and the recreational side of it. Not everybody needs to become a professional. And for me, the only thing that allowed me to be a professional is because I love the game so much. And if I wouldn't have loved the game as much as I did, there's, there's enough hurdles between here and there that, uh, that you just stop at some point you know it's not it doesn't become it's not worth it anymore and I think for me to have played until I was 39 years old I think it says that I was able to kind of do whatever it was and kind of knock down any door but it was really just because I was a kid playing a game I really loved
0: what advice do you have for the kid who's you know five six uh, 120 pounds soaking wet who who loves the game who has who has ability but is but is getting overlooked because coaches don't see a physical specimen
1: yeah i mean i I think a part of it is just realizing you know what what are the things that you have that can really separate yourself you know so if it does become the technical aspects of the game become that much more important um your ability to um you know strike a pass that allows the speedy winger to play a little bit more uh, in behind the, the backs becomes important. I, I just think that you have to figure out what are the assets that you can use that you have um, and how you can use those to the utmost of your ability. I mean, one of the best players that ever played for the club was Mauricio Cienfuegos. And Mauricio Cienfuegos, I can't imagine, is more than five six five seven, but he could run all day. So maybe you can't run as fast as everybody, but the fact that you can continue to move um, – for an extended period of time, allow you to find spaces. Um, I would always see Mauricio would roll the ball backwards and kind of move backwards. And then he would choose when he was going to, to move forward. And so that was his advantage. He would take advantage of the fact that maybe the athletic defender that was closing him down, didn't know exactly when he was going to make his move. And so that was just the, the little bit of uh, time edge that he needed so that he could become effective in what it was doing. And so it just becomes a little bit more nuanced. It's not brute force, but there are qualities that, uh, that players can have that will allow them to find success.
0: Yeah, certainly playing the game at your pace and, and making the game adapt to your pace is, is such a, a, an unbelievable skill. Uh, let's talk about you. Why did you become a goalkeeper?
1: Oh, um I so I started playing when I was four or five and was was playing, you know, co-ed rec league in southwestern Virginia where football was well, the, the American football was the only real real sport, you know. And uh I was playing forward and I liked to score and I found it easy because I think athletically I could just push the ball past people and and score. Um but I, I felt I think I found myself waiting on the ball so often. Um, you know, the rest of the guys were, and gals were doing other stuff with the ball. And as a goalkeeper, the ball always comes your way. You don't necessarily have to find the game. And I think that there must've been a time where, um, we were playing against Blacksburg, which was like the big, big, uh, team in, in, in Virginia in the Southwest portion of the state. And so, um, I, I think the goalkeeper got injured. Uh, I must've been willing to step in. I was like, it mustn't be that difficult, you know? So I hopped in must've had some success and realized, you know, the feeling of making a save was very similar to the feeling of scoring a goal. And it happened four or five times within the 30 minutes that I'd played. And that wasn't something that was repetitive or I could repeat up top. And so um, I think that was the first inkling that I got, that there was something to be said for the position uh, in my life. And then, like I said, in Southwestern Virginia, there wasn't a ton of other people that were as passionate about it or, uh, considered soccer to be a big thing. And so I was able to kind of work on my goalkeeping techniques and things on my own, you know, using a, using a ball and using a wall. And, um, Dr. Macnick would bring number one goalkeepers camp would come through the Southwest part of Virginia once a year. And so that kind of became my de facto, um, expert in the game. And so, uh, it was just great camaraderie with with people from within the position and uh, you know the gk union remains strong today and i, I just found like i, I felt like i would found my tribe um and you know i feel like even even today like uh i feel most comfortable when i'm around people that you know live the game like i do and and live the position like the other goalkeepers that i work with on a regular occasion do
0: Bring up a great point about the GK union. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, went and took the advanced uh, national goalkeeping diploma with the uh, NSCAA, and really had never delved into the art of goalkeeping, despite being a coach. And it really was fascinating to be to be welcomed almost into into this union because you guys you guys are very different uh, than outfield players. So that leads me to ask the question. What kind of personality and characteristic traits are you you looking for in a goalkeeper? And what did what did you bring in terms of personality and character?
1: Oh, man, Um, I would imagine that I'm looking for something similar to what I offered (laughs) or I would have changed that. Right. Um, I I think for me, it's about, you know, uh, just a relentless pursuit of, of the craft right? And this execution of just basic techniques. And so um, you think about goalkeeping and a lot of it becomes about experiences. Um, and I told, and I said at the beginning of the interview that we work a lot on scenarios. And so if you can have these scenarios and, and you can identify what scenario is occurring at any given time during a game, then you can hopefully through reflection have come up with what is the solution to the problem that's being presented to you. And sometimes those solutions become individual based, but sometimes those solutions become team or small group based. And so if the solution becomes small group based or team based, then you're going to need to find some way to get people to work alongside you. And so I think it's one thing to be competitive. I think it's one thing to be, uh, you know, an individual within a team setting and pushing yourself and and being athletic and hopefully at least you know at least six feet at the professional level um or with a 45 inch vertical jump whatever the case may be because you're dealing with some big kids um the, the one thing i would say is that you have to be able to communicate effectively with the group in front of you and you have to be a leader and you have to be respected within the group and so that respect can come through that hard work that we talked about or it can come through You know, a willing a willingness to, you know, I I think be a little bit, uh, I think engaged, but also be willing to be found out, like that you make mistakes too, and and to be a little bit uh, to have empathy towards the group around you, Um, and so there's there's a lot of dynamics within that, but um, yeah, somebody that can offer concise and efficient solutions to the group in front of them and have them listen, I think that that is. Um, that is a huge thing. And I, I know that in, within the Navy SEALs, they talk about whoever's leading is the one with the most information. And if you think about on a soccer field, the person with the most information is always going to be the goalkeeper. They're behind everything. They see all the, all these different, uh, uh, what the, what the team movement is team shape, where there's, um, where their weaknesses are, where their strengths. And if they, if they're, if they're not talking and giving legitimate information, and not to say that there's not something to be said for a little bit of, of cheerleading and, and bringing the group up. Um, but I think real tactical expertise and knowing what the coach is looking for out there on the field is invaluable. And I think that by not communicating and uh, and not trying to problem solve is, is maybe a disservice to your position on the field. Um, so. Having the confidence to do that is another thing, and I. But I, I think those are all things that can kind of be addressed. And we say all the time, hey, it's important that you guys talk and you try to problem solve. And if it's not the right solution, that we can kind of work that out. But it's tough to uh, it's tough to to be able to problem solve as a group when people don't communicate.
0: At what age did you find yourself becoming a student of the game, and and who helped you? Were you were you self taught or were you, were you just this guy that would watch TV relentlessly and see what the top goalkeepers were doing and and, and having great coaching role models?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've like I said, I mean, when I was by myself in southwestern Virginia, I was just fiending information. Like I didn't really have anybody to glean anything from, and so I just remember like taping um you know like off some italian public tv station at like three o'clock in the morning just kind of the world cup previews team by team and like trying to just gather information and so it's amazing because there's other goalkeepers that maybe went to uh tony de camp you know uh, soccer plus or whatever the case may be and and i I went to like i said i went to dr macknick's number one goalkeepers camp and i yeah not only were you doing you know two or three sessions a day, but after that, like you would go into the classroom. and I was always blown away like how much that he was offering from a classroom standpoint. And you know, not just the technical side of it, but the tactical um, situations and how that how they were being considered. And he had gone over and done some work with Franz Hook over in uh, over in in Holland. And so, uh, I, I, just, I think from a really early age recognized the importance of, um, of having information, you know, and just the value of that and expertise and sought it out wherever I could get it, you know, and sometimes uh, there were things that worked and sometimes things didn't work. Um, but between, you know, guys like David Vinoli and Marine Kano guys here in the, the in, in Southern California that I worked with, um. They, they became the experts that I had after that uh, you know introductory time at camp
0: once once you went down this path and you realized that yeah I'm going to be a goalkeeper I'm going to play at the collegiate level and hopefully the professional level did you have a role model that you said I want to be that guy because I think as as you were as you were entering those formative years, I mean, I think that was almost the heyday of American great goalkeepers. We had uh, Miola, we had Keller, we had Friedel, you know, these guys were the the, the giants of the game and, and, and really the, I'd say, the standard bearers for American goalkeepers here and abroad.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate, you know, I mean, I, I was growing up in southwest Virginia. I moved out to California when I was 16. Um, so I had the opportunity to see Miola when when he was playing at UVA, um, then came out and I had, uh, like you said, I had David Vinoli was at UCLA and then Brad Friedel came into UCLA. Casey Keller was one of the guys that came out and helped us. Um, Dr. Macknick brought him into Long Beach State to do the camp out on the West Coast. And so I had the opportunity to have him as a staff coach. So I, I, I there were certainly a number of touch points um, that and, and guys I wanted to emulate from, from within US soccer, guys that I would say are role models within the game and now probably are, are more friends than anything. But you know, I, I was a, a massive Manchester United fan, like because it was probably the only team on TV at the time. And like I said, I you get you get it where you can get it. And it just so happened that they had, you know, Peter Schmeichel playing in goal for him. And Peter Schmeichel, Dane. the great Dane, was somebody who has that presence, you know, and somebody that is not afraid to communicate. And sometimes, for for better or for worse, um, you know, he, he intimidated defenders to the point that they clammed up and they were no longer work, played on that team. But the guys that kind of stuck it out and and just that the way that that team played, it, they were tenacious, you know. And he was he was back there. He, he was the first one to really start blending some handball techniques into um, into goalkeeping. Um, And so he really started to blur the lines between, uh, you know, what, what was proper goalkeeping technique and, and uh, he wasn't afraid to put his body on the line and do some, some nuanced things that uh, I I think that you watch today and you see De Gea and you see some of the Courtois and some of these guys today, like when they're blocking techniques with Neuer or Ter Stegen, like that, that all started with Schmeichel. You know Schmeichel kind of brought some of these blocking techniques out and so for me he, he he'll always be uh, uh be my favorite goalkeeper of all time
0: best goalkeeper of all time
1: um I, I mean it's crazy he he's definitely for me raised the standard of goalkeeping within the world to to a, a new level um you know I, I think that Manchester United has been fortunate to have a number of great goalkeepers throughout the year, and you've almost been able to kind of see, um, I think, seeing the shift towards new techniques within it. But, yeah, I mean, I think Schmeichel has to be in that conversation uh, every day of the week.
0: So as as your career is progressing, we mentioned at the top of the show, you started off uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, a Toro, before moving to uh, the Bruins. Division two, division one. Is there a, is there a big difference in terms of what each division is looking for in a goalkeeper?
1: You know, I mean, I, for for me personally, I mean, I think that there's a standard. I think that, um, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot about what the student wants, you know, you know, in terms of the size of the school, uh, in terms of different degree offerings you know I, I i always find it funny because when i was the academy director it was like i just want to play this this in you know, a level whether it's division 1 and these are kids when i was down at IMG in florida i'm like are you sure that you'll play anywhere because i bet i can find a division 1 school that you don't want to play at you know like what's your comfortability with the weather and what's your comfortability with having a coach that's going to have these expectations of you every day and um you know, how important are the academics to you? Um, and so all of these things, I think, have relevance. You know, when I was at when I went to Dominguez, um, it, it was a great choice for me because, you know, my at, at that point, my dad, when we would moved from Virginia to Southern California, my dad was the vice president. And so at Cal State Dominguez Hills and he had introduced me to the goalkeeper coach and I'd gone to uh or not the goalkeeper coach, but he he introduced me to Maureen Kano, who was the the head soccer coach at the time. And and Maureen had played, you know, goalkeeper for the LA Lasers back in the day. And so it was more expertise that I was just dying to be around. Um, And, you know, the transition, like when I went to Palos Verdes my junior year, uh, I had a great time. We were like CIF Southern champions. And then they shut down Palos Verdes, Mira Lest, and Rolling Hills and made one super high school called peninsula so it was a little bit tumultuous for me during that time and so really going to cal state Dominguez Hills provided me with the opportunity to continue to grow as a player but you know i was close enough to home to kind of get my feet underneath me and make sure that uh, all my ducks were in a line and was able to kind of figure out the next steps within my career in terms of trying to get somewhere where i could compete for a national championship at the top flight so um yeah, I mean, every, everybody's pathway is going to be different. You know, some people will go and sit and want to start right away, you know, and you're not going to go to UCLA and start right away. That's not really how the process works. And so um, you kind of deal with, with all those demons that you might have inside yourself. And if it's important for you to play right away, maybe, maybe you go to a, a different level of a school or, you know, if you're willing to go play in cold weather, that's something that was different than what the kids at IMG maybe wanted to do. Um, so I don't think that there's necessarily a, a one-size-fits-all solution to to people's college experience, and hopefully people are kind of treating it with the respect that it really deserves.
0: So you leave college, you enter the MLS with, obviously, your now new hometown club, the LA Galaxy, but you're following a legend, Jorge Campos. How was that? I mean, was that? There... Obviously, this this is a guy who is larger than life, uh, being the Mexican number one goalkeeper for many many years. Um, really, perhaps one of the the best known goalkeepers in the world, due to his diminutive status uh, stature. And 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 you go in and and you're going to be the new number one. That must have been a a great deal of pressure for a you know just a, a young guy starting out in his pro career.
1: It's interesting because when I when I first you know, was drafted. I got drafted while I was on a flight back from Florida from paying for my own way down to the combine. Um, and so I got off the plane and my parents told me that I'd have been drafted, whether it was the last player, or the second to last player, I don't know. But uh, I think that I went into it and I was probably a little bit naive. It was myself and David Kramer who had played a lot of the games in, in 96 um, together there in preseason in 97. And then all of a sudden it starts to be may and and compost is going to come back and I, i'm not sure if i really put together the fact that there was going to be a decision that was going to have to be made between myself and david kramer and so to be able to um to stick around past that point i felt was like a real coup because i have a lot of respect for david and the way that he played and uh as jorge came in there were takeaways and most of them were not from a technical perspective, right? Like Jorge's techniques were very different than mine. And uh, certainly we both had flamboyant things that we did, but uh, very rarely would you see me, you know, taken off up the field to try to launch a counter attack on the dribble. So, um, I got drafted the way that the expansion draft worked in 97, I got drafted away to Chicago fire because we, they had to leave one of us unprotected and I think they were forced to protect Jorge. So it ended up that we really just almost had to flip and he was going to go to Chicago. I stuck around, um, su- super appreciative of, uh, you know, the coaching staff for having the belief in me and, uh, and consider Jorge to be a great friend and somebody that I, I took lessons away from and whether or not they were from a technical perspective or a tactical perspective, I'll leave that to you. But <laughs> I think, uh, he's somebody that I enjoyed watching playing and, and, and well, one thing for sure that I took away was when he would concede a goal, no matter, I, I would, I was like, man, what a terrible goal to concede. And he would do this thing where he would turn around, he would grab the ball out of the back of the goal and he would like start applauding the striker. Like it would, must've been like amazing. So he could run like some diversion and really just kind of create a new reality for like the the, the fans and the stands and, the people that maybe weren't in the know they'd be like oh that must have been a good shot for him to got, gotten scored on and i was like what a terrible goal great
0: great great use of uh, uh, perhaps a mindset technique to you know reframe and reset and and i think a, a good friend of mine eric winalda who, who you probably know very well uh his his mindset from the striker's mentality and he always says this to me is convenient amnesia you know, the ability to forget exactly immediately that you've just made a complete ricket and to be able to move on and be ready for the next thing straight away. I mean, have you? Have yeah, you, have you? Uh, I mean, maybe, I don't know if this is a, a rude question or not, but have you ever worked with a sports psychologist?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I would try to gra- gather expertise wherever I could, you know, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, certainly we, we would have people that would come in occasionally um, and, and work with the group. Um, I definitely remember having a, a cassette tape that uh, somebody had kind of put together, like this the uh, mental side of the game within goalkeeping that I kind of listened to as a kid, like on a cassette player probably in the dark while I was going to bed trying to, trying to figure out how to, how to deal with all the, the different dynamics associated with, uh, with the game. But, uh, yeah, I think part of it is the resilience and knowing um, that you can, you can constantly redefine any scenario, you know, and like you talked about reframing things. I, I had a uh, – I gave up a horrific goal in the 1999 MLS Cup. Um, we were down 1-0, and a ball came back to me, and I, we were playing up at Foxborough, and this was when Foxborough was grass, and I went to hit the ball – with the outside of my foot and kind of clip it over somebody, and I won ninety nine MLS goalkeeper of the year, so I was feeling pretty confident. I something happened where I mishit it and it gets intercepted by Ben Olsen. Ben Olsen like immediately scores, and so we're down two zero. So in effect, I've lost the game for us at this point. Um, and I remember Tim Harris, who's now like the vice president of basketball for the Lakers, but he was a goalkeeper at UCLA. Uh, sent me a sent me a, a nice card and kind of I hadn't really ever met Tim. Uh, you know, for any duration of time. And so for him to have sent this unsolicited was actually, um, speaks a lot about him as a person. And it said something to the effect of, you know, you can, you can, you get to decide how this is. It can either be a defining moment within your career, or this can be just simply a footnote within your career. And it really allowed me to transition from, you know, lamenting the fact that we we not found the success that we wanted at the 99 MLS Cup, Um into being offered, you know, an opportunity at Gank Football Club. Eventually, I came back, you know, um, to L.A. And, and continued my career here. But it really helped me turn the page on something, you know, because it was like you said, it was all about how I was going to frame it.
0: But let me ask you this. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of uh, uh, education and research done uh, recently on the mental side of the game. How important is it and 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 I'm not just looking at it from a goalkeeping perspective, I'm just looking at it now from from the, the the player perspective. how important is the mental side of the game and how how much time do you think we as coaches need to be uh you know carving out because there's there's so much you know we, we spoke about repetition earlier and for the outfield players, you know the ability to pass, run, tactics uh the technical side of the game the physical side of the game but how much time do we need to spend on the mental side of the game and how much impact does the mental side of the game have on players no, hmm. questions it's,
1: uh, <laughs> no it's it's no it, it's a great question and you know we, we talk about all these different things that you know i i'm as a former academy director here at the club i it's, it's amazing. Like how much goes into youth development. Right. And, and I think that there's parents that think that we show up 30 minutes before the start of training. And then we just kind of roll the ball out and we just kind of go through the motions. And the reality is, is every decision that we make has, we realize is going to have a big effect effect on all of our families and all of our players. And, um, you know, we talk about positional profiles. And I think within positional profiles, you start talking about the fact that, you know, and you alluded to this is that some smaller players will miss out on opportunities, right? And, um, you know, within the mental side of the game, you wanna provide the resources necessary so that kids have their best opportunity to be in success now, but also in the future. And uh, within the last probably hour, you know sitting here at the office we were just talking about you know the tournament this weekend that they had out at, out at Silver Lakes and you know how even at the age of 12 you can start to see players that have something different and i would say that within that conversation somebody mentioned the fact that it's almost better to at that age group pull out players that have certain personalities and just make sure that they're, they're driven by growth and have the right qualities. And you can certainly support those, but it's tough to change a personality very much or, uh, you know, as kids, you know, become 15, 16 or whatever the case might be. But um, it it probably is the most important thing. Um, You know, the fact that when I grew up, my parents you know, stress the importance of hard work, you know, really kind of to this day is kind of, if not an asset, (laughs) it might be, it might even go over the other side to be kind of a detriment because I I really do try, I I would work myself to death if I could. But um, I I do think, like you said, I mean, the, the, the mental side of it, the way that you're able to interact with other people, um, are all huge things, the way that you react to adversity, your willingness to step up and and embrace a challenge. Um, you know, empathy, uh, all of these things are are just massively critical because you you want somebody that's coachable, you know, but you also, you don't want somebody so coachable that they take in everything that everybody says and then all of a sudden everything just becomes discombobulated within their, within their mind, right? And so uh, if, if you can find a really good blend of a lot of these assets, then you really have the foundation and building blocks of what it's going to take. To add all these other things on top of it, but yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, uh, within the last two hours, within this office here at the LA Galaxy, we just talked about how personality is probably the most important thing within a football player.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think that that that's a part of a game that is, that is growing. And I think there's going to be more more research and more experts are going to come into into that environment and and really help players find that that hidden one, two, three percent that sets them apart from everybody else um before i let you go we're going to go through a quick best of okay best match you ever played in and
1: why um i would say that the best match that i ever played in was when i was probably what was probably been may 18th 1997 i probably played against aston villa or maybe it was just right before we played against uh the Columbus crew on my birthday which was my first MLS start um, and it was during that time that you know Jorge Campos was coming back and I was really fighting for an opportunity to play professional soccer and I, I got the opportunity to play against Aston Villa on a Wednesday night or whatever the case might be and played really well and and parlayed that into my first MLS start and that was really the the, the thing that kind of allowed me to continue to uh to make a go of it so I, I think that that was probably my favorite game.
0: Was that match of the Rose Bowl? yeah I, I went to that game <laughs> I, I, I,
1: <laughs> and stan stan collymore was there yeah, somebody was like somebody just game. minted like some Actually, huge
0: was in the dressing room with you guys afterwards but i mean i was i was just a just a mere baby then um best striker you've ever played against and why
1: um best striker that i've ever played against i don't i mean I. I'd be hesitant to say Striker, but Zidane, like playing on the same field as Zidane, like when uh, we played them here at at, uh, Dignity Health Sports Park when we played Real Madrid, I was blown away that no matter where he was on the field, and believe me, he would get he would get forward and get into the box. He, you have Roberto Carlos wide open, like playing Zidane the ball with four guys on his back to, like, orchestrate the game and his abilities to, you know, just maneuver the ball and and, and chip balls into into uh, spaces was just unreal. And, you know, uh, I, I would think that Roberto Carlos probably hits the hardest shot I've ever faced. And so that was kind of in the same game. But that, that's a lot. They had a lot of money out on the field that day.
0: What, what was it like in the locker room after that game? Were, were your teammates just like, wow, Zuban, I I – Ridiculous! Never seen anything like it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was fortunate also to play with Thierry, and Thierry's like a World Footballer of the Year. And you just see these guys. I mean, their capacity to hold off two players uh, and and protect the ball was you know second to none. You know the things that they could do with the ball. It was it was ridiculous. But the way they would fold other people into the game, the way that they, how competitive they were uh it, it was just like the perfect you know meshing of of these all these different techniques and skills and um certainly lucky to have gotten to play with some good really really top players
0: is that teachable or is it just inherent
1: i'm sorry
0: is that teachable or is it just inherent in who they are
1: yeah i'm, I'm sure i'm sure a part of it is is you know a part of who they are you know i think that you know in the development phase you're doing whatever you can to kind of bring these things out you know and you talk about you know learn, learning to play learning to compete and then learning to win um and those are all things that you kind of do at different phases of uh, of the development process and so you know loving the game and learning to play and all that is the part that Thierry talked about up till 14 and then you talk about learning to compete and that's something that is you know definitely brought into it you know between the ages of 14 and 16 and then once you're 17 and up you're, you're you're playing to win um and i i think that sometimes here within the states we get a little bit confused about what the uh what the process looks like um but that's a that's a whole nother podcast
0: oh yes for sure favorite defense <laughs>
1: team My. Uh, favorite defensive teammate and why um, i love i love playing with robin frazier who was the center back when i first got to the club um he played alongside dan kalishman and greg vandy two guys that i work with now but um i, I appreciated all of their openness and their willingness willing to share with me as a as a young player um and and i think that the the I think the amount of of tactical expertise that they have and and their understanding of the game it, it's pretty obvious that with what they've gone on and been able to do within the coaching ranks. But to be able to play with those guys was was otherworldly, you know. And then Robin also had the speed and the capacity that most players don't have, you know. So I, I would say that I enjoyed playing with Robin as much as anybody.
0: Last question for you: Would you have done anything differently in your playing career?
1: I thought about this the other day. I think I probably would. Have, it would have been a lot easier for me to retire right now if I in '99 when I was offered the opportunity at Genk if I just would have stayed over in Belgium and kind of and kind of gone that route. Um, it would have been interesting to see uh, what what I could have achieved, you know, going through Belgium and seeing if there's other opportunities on, in Europe. Um, so I lament that fact and probably will till the day I die. But I also, you know, I came back and we won the national, I mean, we won the uh, MLS Cup in 2002 with people that I consider to be great friends today. So I, I think that at the end of the day, like I, I was able to achieve a, a high level of success and, and, and quality of life here that uh, that I don't, I, I don't spend too much time on it. But yeah, it would have been nice to know what I could have accomplished if I would have stayed over in, in Belgium and, and had to go with that.
0: Kevin Hartman, El Gato, goalkeeping coach for the LA Galaxy. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. If uh, any uh, listeners uh, uh, have questions for you, is, is there any way they can get a hold of you? Do you have a Twitter handle or anything?
1: I, I do have a Twitter, but I don't check it very often. If you just send me an Instagram uh, message, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. It's just at Kevin Eugene Hartman on Instagram. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me.
0: What a great interview from... Kevin Hartman and as always you can get hold of me at Nick Webster
1: on Twitter
0: and of course CalSouth on Instagram, CalSouthSoccer on Twitter at Cal South Soccer, and of course on Facebook we'll be back next week with another episode of The Bear and the Ball